I'm Taylor's Media Managing Editor Andy Davis and welcome to a very special episode of the KBB Review Podcast. This is outside of the normal episodes as it's actually a taster of our other show, the Kitchen and Bathroom Design Podcast. This is the latest episode and it's all about designing showrooms so I thought there was a natural crossover to put it up here as well to give you an idea of what the other podcast is like. There's over 25 episodes there that cover all aspects of kitchen and bathroom design as well as interviews with top designers. You can find it by going to podcast.kbbreview.com or by searching kitchen and bathroom design in your podcast app where you can obviously subscribe too. Those links are in the episode description. So I'll now hand over to me, who then subsequently hands over to another me. This is like the movie Inception, but with Andrew Davis rather than Leonardo DiCaprio. Sorry about that. This is the Kitchen and Bathroom Design Podcast from Taylor's Media. Welcome to the Kitchen and Bathroom Design Podcast from Taylor's Media. I'm Managing Editor Andy Davis, and I'm recording this intro bit just as the UK is tentatively lifting some of its lockdown measures to try and at least point ourselves towards normality for the first time in many weeks. Now, that ease of the lockdown is turning many people in the kitchen and bathroom retail sector towards plans for reopening their showrooms. And with that in mind, I thought it was a great time to put out this episode all about showroom design. Specifically, we're looking at showroom design that really works, not just as a fantastic gallery for products and design, but also what really pulls in the customer and inspires them to seriously talk about getting you to do their project. We've got some great guests together to talk about this. Obviously, we got them together way before the lockdown. We've got Angus Kerr, who is the sales director of the Bathroom Company in Scotland. Fantastic premium showroom. We've got Jim Gibson, the Managing Director of Stone and Chrome in Surrey, another great showroom. He's just expanded a successful bathroom business into kitchens, so that's really interesting to hear about. And all the way from Auckland, New Zealand, we have Xanthi Whiteley, who's a retail experience designer for Fisher & Paykel. She's responsible for designing, amongst other things, the displays that go into the showrooms. Now, before we get started, please remember to subscribe to us. If you're listening through your desktop, which I know a lot of you do, I really recommend finding us in a podcast app on your phone where you can subscribe and binge listen to our 25 or so other episodes so far on the go. Right, let's get going with our look at showroom design. So I'll hand over to me there and this me will see you at the end. So Angus, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about the bathroom company. The bathroom company is a, a supply and fit showroom. Most of the companies in, in our industry tend to gear the showroom towards the sale of a product. Uh, and we are different in as much as fundamentally we sell labour. So we sell labour with very high-end products. So our showroom is geared towards whole of house, living, how you... Interact with the products that you have in your own home, so it's a completely different aspect. And we, we obviously would elaborate on how we came about designing the showroom and how the showroom, what it means to us, and what it means to a person walking in the door. And it is a great showroom, and you do operate at a very premium level in the centre of Edinburgh, don't you? And it's, it's a it's a fabulous location as well, and Perth as well, of and course. Yeah. So, Jim, tell us a little bit about Stone and Chrome, because you've gone through a real journey with, with what Stone and Chrome is, and, and particularly your showroom, too, in the last six months, too. Yeah, totally. You know, I started it in 2007 as a bathroom showroom, principally, because I wanted to do kitchens at the time, but I didn't have enough space. 
So this is not like, you know, I've got a huge bunch of money, I'm going to take this space and I'm going to turn it into this amazing thing. This was shoestring, you know, so this was me still working as an installer and then building a showroom in the evenings and weekends. So, you know, I ran out of space and money before I put the kitchens in. Just after we'd finished it, it took me about a year to do it, the guy next door to us in an adjoining unit set light to it, which (gasps) completely destroyed my showroom. So I, I had to build it again. We'd literally just finished it and then had to build it all over again. So I look back now and think I have no idea how I did it. So you started out as in bathrooms, and now, relatively recently, you're yeah. moving into kitchens as well. So you've so in terms of showroom as well, you've devoted an awful lot of space over to, to kitchens now. Well, we we finally took. I've been after the unit next door for about five or six years, mm. and uh, always just missed out on it. And through a chance meeting with the chap next door, managed to get it this time. What where we've done well with our displays, I haven't got many, but they're big. So clients are unable to visualize things they can't see things i can stand there explaining things to people and you just they're just glazing over you know and you and you do get the people coming in well if you can imagine my door was here and my kitchen was there and so when you have a displays that are big enough to to be a room then it's so much easier for them and easier for them to explain to me what they want so we wanted to do the same with the kitchen so i needed a big space and i only wanted to put in two or three kitchens because i wanted them to be big so the sort of client I was after was the people that are doing extensions, adding on huge spaces to the room that they've already got and turning a smaller space into a bigger space. And again, it's all about the visualisation. I needed them to be able to walk in and go, pick this up, put it in my house. That's what I want. We'll come on to the specifics of how you set about doing that in a minute. But Xanthi, let, let's talk to you because obviously you're not a retailer, but you work mm. closely with retailers for Fisher & Pike. Yeah. So talk us through what it is you do. My role is a retail experience designer, so I suppose Fisher & Paykel is a, an appliance brand. Founded in New Zealand in 1934, got a really big head office in Auckland there, um, another head office in Dunedin. We've got a few design teams. Um, we've got two in Auckland, one in Dunedin, and I suppose our uh, design team is yeah, retail um, experience, global displays. So we work with retailers to design a display to kind of showcase our products that is still very on brand um, in line with our kind of guidelines and design principles so it is still quite a collaborative process but um yeah it just means that we've got we've got our vision and we can kind of show that yeah because obviously for any retail showroom working you have to work closely with those suppliers and those brands to to make sure everybody wins yes Uh, and obviously some brands and suppliers demand bigger space than others and some retailers have the power to be much more combative with what space to give over. But we'll come on to that in a minute. What I want to start with here is where the customer journey begins in a showroom and how you sort of plan that out in your head. Let's start with you, Angus. Do you literally start with Mr. and Mrs. Smith, they're outside the front door, what do they see first? How do you start? That's probably exactly the right attitude because our Perth showroom has been an organic process over the last kind of 30 years and it's turned into a small showroom the pub next door went bust. We bought the pub. We turned the whole thing into a showroom. Sacrilege. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Areas at the back, we, we then ended up spreading out from a 2,000 square foot space to nearly 5,000 square foot in Perth. Edinburgh, on the other hand, completely different. It was a new build area in the area that we wanted to be in. This was actually built and lying empty and we ended up taking the entire uh, showroom ourselves. So that's the starting point. It was a new build, nothing 
concrete blank canvas, floor, yeah. absolutely blank canvas. It took us probably the most important factor was a Fiona, our director from Perth, sat down and worked out a plan. But we, as a company, we do everything by committee. It's, it's all done by committee. So it's a little bit of information here, a little bit of information there. And by the end of the process, it was all about standing at the front door. What do you do? And even from a point of view of do you go straight ahead or do you turn right? If you saw our showroom, we have a lot of curves in the showroom and our normal client would walk in the door and then they would turn right. And it's just the way that the eye goes because there is a curve and it leads you round a particular is that a, Was that a very deliberate decision that you're going uh, to start 100%. that from? 100%. Right. It was it was exactly deliberate. That's the process that we wanted. The reception's on the left, and we wanted the journey to start on the right-hand side. So that process then takes you around. So from a point of view of designing, it's what is the overall space going to be? We then started talking about how we would then develop size of bay, which is exactly what was just mentioned about scale of mm. space. We have a 5,000 square foot showroom, but we only have 39 displays. Mm. So easily we could have had 100 in there, but we wanted them to be lifestyle as well. So it's all about the the, the journey. And, the, and I, I know that's a, a word. No, no, it's, uh, it's it is, very important. It is, it, it is about the journey that you walk in, you process yourself through the showroom, all the way up to the back, and then you'll end up where you started. And it is vitally important so much so that if somebody walks in the showroom and comes straight ahead you would almost say well that's not our client mm. they just they don't get it they don't they've, <laughs> they've walked the wrong way because we we, we have guided everybody no entry so yeah <laughs> it, it's a subliminal message that you go in we've also got it starts off about 1.1 meters and then the curve goes up to about 2.6 and then it goes round to the left. So your eye should automatically go round the showroom. It is a subliminal message. No, it's great that that much thought goes into it. I mean, you, I mean, you don't have a big shop frontage, Jim, do you? No, no, no. So how do you work at the end? When people turn up at the front door, have you thought it through to that kind of level that Angus has? I wish. Because I suppose why I'm asking that is because yours is obviously a much more organic thing. It's kind of grown and grown and it, grown a bit. It has, yeah. I mean... I took the space on because it was cheap, so there's no getting away from it. So I thought, right, what am I going to do with this broken down old unit? And what I wanted was, as soon as people walk through the front door, they could be anywhere. Mm. You know, they, they've walked in from this old industrial estate that it's like, mm, it's a bit dodgy, what's this place going to be like? That's completely forgotten one step inside the door. Mm. It's not very big, it only had 1,500 square feet. And into that I had to incorporate office space and all this kind of stuff. What I didn't want to do was put a reception desk anywhere in sight. I thought, what I want to do, I'll, I'll base it on my experience. What do I want? I want to be left alone, really. I want to come in. I want to have a little nose around. But this is also because of what they're kind of not expecting from outside. So if your place is amazing from outside, you kind of, oh, okay, you know, I know this is going to be lovely. Mine, they've got working going, you know, let's crack the door open halfway and just have a little look. We do get so many where the husband will come in or the wife will come in and then I hear the door go again and they go back out and get the rest of the family. You yeah. know, so they'll come in and they'll test the water. I would have loved to have done the whole IKEA thing and lead them on a journey through the through the showroom, but I just didn't have So if so if I if I sort of throw that door open, what's the first thing I'm gonna see? Well you're gonna see the displays that I change most. You're probably hit by sort of three displays in there. As I say, it's not a very 
big showroom. And I think I went on the old um, Alan Tishmas kind of rule of thumb of designing a garden, which is, you know, you don't want to be able to see all of it from any one position. People have got to be led in to see it. I kind of lead them in, sort of tease them in with things, you know. So we put like sparkly things at the back and colours, brassware, sort of red golds and things, just just Catch out, the out of reach, yeah. you know, so they kind of have to come in. But it's more the fact that I keep it immaculate and it smells amazing. Mm. You know, that's that's the one thing I get, oh my God, it smells so good in here. Mm. Um, and I think people immediately feel comfortable and they want to explore. It's the contrast with the environment outside as well. Completely, yeah. I had a fight right. on my hands there. Yeah, yeah, it's black and white. I yeah. mean, it's, it's a bit better now. But even so, yeah, I've dressed up as much as I can on the yeah. outside. But the landlord's very strict, and yeah. I have to be pretty sneaky on the lease to kind of sneak things in. But that's what I wanted. Was the wow. Factor. So, Xanthi, what, what do you think of this from your perspective? About what when the f- customer first sees something, when they first walk through a door, you know, how do you plan where that eye should be led? I suppose my experience is a little bit different because a lot of what we do and my team is we'll be given spaces in different showrooms rather than having the whole showroom to ourselves. So we'll have a floor plan that we work to and we'll have basically an appliance list and then, yeah, that's our job to kind of get that eye-catching first look for the space that we've been given. I suppose the top 5% we do to have big showrooms and experience centres and we get to work on things like that, the trade shows. So you're setting, I suppose, a character right there from mm. the beginning on you. And I guess that's what all three of you are doing. The moment somebody walks through the door, you're, it's immediately apparent to them where they are, yeah. the yeah. kind of environment that they are in, the kind of level of, 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 of spend that they're expected to spend. <laughs> I uh, think that's absolutely <laughs> vital, though, that when people walk in the door, there is an expectation for people who know who you are, but there is also an understanding from people that don't know you and as they walk in the door, they will then very quickly realise the environment that they're in. Mm. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's vital that people know whether this is for them or not for them. And even walking around, it's amazing the people that walk into our showroom and walk right back out the door again. Right. It happens a lot. See, I wonder whether there's a danger sometimes. These showrooms can be very imposing places they they're be, not busy they these can be intimidating yeah showrooms these kind of showrooms are never busy they're not full of hundreds of people milling around exactly. are they so sometimes yeah. they, how do you get past the the idea that i, I don't dare by, go in by having a reception and talking to people and make them welcome and make them understand that they are welcome that's the most important thing is to be able to say to people hello come in our showroom as well there is one thing that's different about our showroom everything works Right. Absolutely everything. So the first thing we have to do is we have to warn them that everything works, but it's part of the process of welcoming people. We have a working coal fire as well when you walk in. So there is a warmth as you walk in, and this is all part of the the welcome. Hello, how are you? I suppose you're, you're immediately projecting yourself living in these places, aren't you? I suppose that's kind of the point. Well, we have a strong aim and goal to be more whole of house. Right. And from a whole of house point of view, we have a lot of art in the showroom as well. We have uh, over 40 paintings, all by pretty well-known artists. We do a lot with wallpaper and more and more and more we're doing it. But I mean, I've been in this business for 30 years. This new fabric texture, softness, you know, but quite frankly, as a, a, as a retailer, I really don't care whether I stick a tile on the wall or put wallpaper on the wall. I don't care. It's all about the project and what the, the client is actually looking but for. But I guess this is what the role of the showman plays in, because they are not shops, are they? 
No, no, you know, they're not. I mean, they are retail environments. Yeah, they are not shops. You're not popping in to buy something. You are you are going in there to to absorb a a certain level of lifestyle. Right. Let's. I want to talk a little bit about displays, obviously, because all these showrooms are are fundamentally made up of a series of displays. So, what makes a good display? What makes a bad display? You've already touched on a little bit. How much space is devoted to displays in the first place? So, Jim, let's start with you. When you're when you've got a new range coming in, or you're you're taking something out and putting it in, what's your thought process with with what that display needs to look like? Well, yeah, it depends on what it is. You're always thinking, what's what's the client gonna see? Are they gonna understand what I'm putting in front of them? If it's a funky little cloakroom basin, it can go anywhere. You don't have to build them a cloakroom. Mm. If you're trying to sell a latest finish, like a red gold or something like something a little bit funky, you can't just put it on a display with a bunch of other shower valves. You need to build a display around it. If you're putting in a bath that's slightly different or coloured sided bath, I don't think you can just stand it in the middle of a showroom. I think if you want to sell it, then you have to sell them the dream. So they need to see the whole thing. It really does depend on what it is. Taps, for instance, you know, if you really want to sell a tap, it's pointless just putting on little... It's handy to have them on little plinths and things so you can move them around and say, well, this is what it's going to look like. But if you build the whole thing, you know, like it's going to be in their room, because people really can't understand what they're going to see. If you're selling something big, you need a big display. If you're selling something interesting, you need to dress the whole display. Tiles, for instance, you know, you're not going to sell a funky little gold-plated mosaic tile from a 300 by 300 sheet. You, know, you need it on the wall. Otherwise, people just don't get it. You know, they just walk straight past it because it's just a trinket to them. When I first did the showroom, talking about um, intimidating people, because I worked a lot with stone, so I did these amazing stone displays, and they shaped all these stone surfaces and these stone bowls, um, all this beautiful... Nobody got past the front doorstep. All I would hear was, I'd hear the door go, then it'd be, I don't think this is the place for us. <laughs> and then they'd disappear off again. So I thought, oh, that wasn't what I was going for. But you can intimidate people. So I've had to kind of dumb it down a little bit, because we do probably... It was all supply and fit to start off, but... Probably 75% now design and supply only, and then 25% design, supply, and store. So what you're saying is, and let's see if you can care with this, Angus, is that people need to see it. I guess even going back to when I started going to showrooms, there was a lot, particularly in bathrooms, but the kitchens too, where they were just lying stuff up. It was about showing as much the, the, stuff that, as yeah, it possibly could. The worst could. nightmare is when <laughs> you see it's a lazy, lazy design process where you've got base and base and base in, it in a row. Yeah, you've got ten loos in a row. It's <laughs> a really, really lazy process. No thought of going into it at all. But you've got, you've got an enormous amount of space, as you say, a, a, a quite a limited number of displays. So what, what's your what's your theory behind that? Are all those displays complete and total working room sets? So let, let's, let's just think about how you would live in your own house. So say, for example, you live in a house with maybe six rooms it could be bedrooms it could be bathroom it'll be kitchen it'll be living room we don't as people we don't change our house we change what's within the rooms of the house so having the structure there to start with is the most important part so that when you're changing your base you will then follow trends you will then put in a unique items whether you want to put in uh a BD toilet or whatever, but these are all things that can be changed from within the space that you're working. So it's important to get the superstructure right, and when the superstructure is right, you can then work from within it. So what you do when you have your bay to work with is exactly what Jim's saying. You're, you're trying to, to complement the space and trying to evoke some emotion 
from the the client to say, right, okay, the, this appeals to me. I could see this in my own house because people then have to try and transpose it back to where you're actually going to fit it. So the most important thing on the bay or display is not what's in it. It's how you get the emotion from a person when they walk into it. You're just trying to evoke some kind of emotion. And how often do people go, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take it? And a they, they want everything, the a entire lot. thing. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's your that, ultimate goal, That I guess. happens a lot. Yeah. And that, that there's nothing more satisfying and gratifying than somebody saying, what you've done there is exactly what I want. And people will say, I want that. Yeah. yeah. You know, and However, they, yeah. it becomes tedious putting for a designer to yeah. put the same bathroom yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because people it works so well just like this yeah. if you could pick this up and put it in a night again the process of textures and colours and I suppose we are slightly skewed because we have such an, an open door I mean, we could spend two days with a client picking a wallpaper, yeah. you know, and that process, and you, you get it, I mean, you go down and you end up somewhere completely different. Oh, yeah. So it's not just about just the boxes. Point. It's mm. not just about the boxes. If you use a, an analogy that has gone in the past, okay, you're putting the same thing again and again and again, that process does not fit life. I mean, if you go into a clothes shop, you could put a dress on. A dress is a dress, but you might try 30 dresses on mm. before you pick the one. Therefore, the process is valid. Yeah, I suppose off the off the peg bathrooms. Look, Zanthi, let's let's speak about this from your point of view because obviously F and P is a premium brand. Mm-hmm. You you've got a certain amount of display space. You could just put as many ovens in there as possible, well, but you don't. No, definitely not. And I think that's probably the biggest fight that we have with retailers because obviously sales they that's what they're wanting. They want to fit as many appliances in that space as they possibly can. I suppose the design process kind of helps us to, I suppose what you were saying, Jim, as well, is that you want it in a setting. With a brand like Fisher & Paykel, you're selling a certain level of aspiration as well, aren't you? Mm. So you're not just piling ovens high, and you're, you, you want to get across the brand aspirations as much yeah, as you do definitely. the product quality. And so to display in a kitchen setting shows the customer visiting the showroom to see all the appliances. It's not just a wall of ovens. We can see that I like this paired with this. Everything matches, the lines line up. It's all the kind of smaller design details that help the customer decide. I think a lot of the time that is what sets one appliance apart from the other, though. A lot of the time it's those tiny design details that make the difference, and you need to get make sure that gets across to the consumer mm. without yeah. drowning them in, in oven doors. Mm. I guess that's kind of the point, I, isn't it? I think premise is the same. When a, when a client walks in or a potential client walks in, most people don't know when something is right but they know when something's wrong. And you're talking about lines and balance. We, we are fanatical about lines, top of one thing, bottom of the other thing. And when people look and there is a synergy to the showroom and there is a balance to the showroom, it doesn't jump out at you. It's just, it's more of a comforting feeling. But when something is off, it's noticeably off and it's like, wow, I mean, I wouldn't have done that. But this is what you would be doing as well, what you're talking about with your ovens mm. and how lines. Because in a kitchen, the balance, I mean, I, I've spent days on trying to get a warming drawer into a line of appliances where clearly it's knocking the balance off. So you have to think slightly differently about the shapes of everything rather than the item. It's the shape of the item and how that is pleasing to the eye. And that must be something that Xanthi is conscious of when you're Mm. actually designing, looking at how things lie together. 
from a showroom design perspective, what are the differences between kitchens and bathrooms? You know, how would you approach a kitchen display, Jim, differently to a bathroom display? Do you know what? I, I wouldn't. This is why I wanted to do them big. You need to show people what they can have. I think more so with a kitchen, though it's slightly different because we make our own. So I also wanted to show people how they're made, what they're made of, why they're made of it. We're operating at a certain level here, and I listen to your podcasts, and I kind of think, yeah, do you know what? Sometimes the installer in me is kind of like, God, do you know what? This is just a smidge elitist every now and yeah. then. Because there's plenty of showrooms out there who line up their toilets, who line up their basins. We wouldn't do it because it's not our clientele, yeah. but it's theirs. Mm. You know, so they've got a fitter coming in. They're going to drag their client around going, you know, which one do you want? But that's the difference you know? between a showroom and a shop, though. Yeah. Showroom and shop. And there's nothing wrong with it. No, 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 no. But it's about understanding your market. You're absolutely right. Uh, absolutely, and if, yeah, and if you pitch yeah. it wrong, up or down, yeah. then... And, and working displays as well. I mean, when I started, I think I, I had about six of them working for about a week. And I thought, this is a seriously bad idea. Kids running around, slipping over, headbutting bits of glass. I think I'm going to get sued and be put out of business in 20 minutes. This is crazy. So I kind of isolated the ones that were going to work because it does sell them. I think, you know, the hand scrubber do their sort of display areas. They're, they're really good for showing what taps do and the, the power you, array you, and you range. Can, if you've been in Clerkenwell and they've got the, the big old-fashioned yeah. area, it's like, I mean, hello, that was like 30 years ago. You know, they, they, rather than focusing on one item and letting people really see, but all that happens... Even it does work, though. It does work because they do, so, yeah, they do so many different ways of delivering water, you know, so... And it's quite handy when someone's trying to choose a handset to go with a, an overhead. You know, what does it do? Why does it do it? This kind but of that's thing. That's not focusing so. on everything, though. Mm. If, if you're selling a, a bathroom, you're, you're not focusing on one item. It's not about the one item. It's about yeah. how everything blends Isn't together. Isn't it a nightmare, though, keeping everything <laughs> absolutely immaculate? Uh, no, it's just part of the process. Yeah. It, is, it is part That's of yes. the process. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, but raise an interesting point there, really, about how tactile displays have to be within that showroom environment. I mean, how much interaction is, the, is that consumer going to have? I mean, Santa, when you're doing stuff for F&P, you know that people are going to stand there and open and close things and turn all the knobs and whatever yeah. it is. How important is it that they are allowed to do that? Or, and there's a feeling developed that, yes, touch anything you like, have a go at anything you want. Don't worry about it, because again, it's talking about the imposing nature of am I, am I allowed to touch that tap or am I? Yeah, but we, we, where does it become the point with the showroom then is, I mean, it's all very well saying that, okay, you've got a fantastic showroom, but you can't leave people unattended as well. There comes a point when we all have to realise that fundamentally we're there to generate cash. And that has to be at a certain point when somebody is going around and you can then do you see anything you like or whatever at some point you have to interact with the client mm. at that point you can then extol the benefits of what you're actually looking at if people were left to wander about they would get a bit of it but they wouldn't get all of it but when you're explaining to them this is why we did this this is why we did that this works try this you then have the process about guiding people. This is all about, it's a consultation process. And earlier on, Andy hit the nail on the head when you said that the people that come in, there are certain people that expect the whole job. Other people would come in and say, well, I'm just looking for that or I'm looking for one individual item. If people are coming in and looking for the entire process, that's what we do. If somebody comes in and uh, says to us, I'm looking for a basin, and then they walk back out the door again, 
it's fine because it's not our client and you can't be all man to every man. You have to discover what your target market is and then gear your business towards that target but, market. But there's, there's such an emotive element to all of this, isn't it? And, and, and touch is as much a part of that emotive thing oh, yeah. as anything, it's as the eyes are. It's everything. So it's, it's how much you build, it. How, when you are designing that show, how do you build tactility, is that even a word, <laughs> tactileness, into that in a welcoming way? Because where else in the world would you spend thousands and thousands of pounds on something that you haven't actually used? You would test drive a car, wouldn't you? You're, but you can't test your exactly back. right. So you only know from that bit where you sort of turn a tap or you know press a button on a shower or whatever it yeah. is. That's that's yeah. you judge it on that or open an oven door yeah. and close it again. But th- this is the importance of having working displays so people can actually see, touch it, feel it. E- even when you've got the say, for example, a further down the market tap, you turn the tap on, the the head's wobbling all over the place. You go to somebody like Samuel Heath or Dornbrack. You move it and there's not even a quarter of a millimetre in loose movement on these taps. It's unbelievably tactile. You lift it up. I mean, for example, even the hands-growing focus tap, most people, most taps have got aerators, but the hands-growing focus has got a double aerator, so it generates foam. It's commonly known as the no-splash tap mm. because people who've got high-pressure systems, you lift the tap, the water hits the basin, it jumps out, and you end up with water all over your trousers. Yeah. So to be able to say... At least that's what I tell the, people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As we all do. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, look at that tap again. Yeah. <laughs> but do, but, so I suppose the working displays effectively give people permission to interact with those with those products and those displays. Yeah, so I, I haven't got them all working. I've got the ones working that I feel need to work. Mm. So if I want to show somebody, you know, how this tap works, I take them over here. I say, well, this is this is the spray, you know, this is a reduced spray. This is what your architect wants when you're building your house. You know, there's no water coming out of it. That will keep him happy, you know, this kind of thing. So, but then I have, uh, we do a lot of steam. So there's no way in the world you're going to sell a steam room to someone unless that steam room is working. Uh, Again, fatal. Yeah, Yeah. and if someone phones you up or is interested in looking at steam, I make sure that before they come in, you know, that showroom smells of whatever oil that I'm going to put in there. Blueberry muffins is my (laughs) favourite. Oh, man, honestly, it's amazing. (laughs) It's amazing. It's been a long time. Apple pie pie was a good one, but, but blueberry muffins are a winner. You know, when you've got the steam coming out, that kind of they get it. You know, they, they just see this little sort of chrome square on the wall, and they're like, "I see the seats. I don't understand it." You know, if you've got digital bath fillers and things like that, you need to show people how they work. But I had to draw a line between yeah, know, practicality. Am, am I going to pay a cleaner a thousand pound a month? Yeah, hats off to you for doing it because yeah. it's, it's a chore. And you're right about the cost so, as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're right yeah. Because, because you have to keep it perfect every every, every morning. How much consideration do you give to interactivities, Anthony, when you're in your designing displays for FMP? Because people are going to walk up to them and grab hold of them. Can I see you this? Yeah. 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 How do you build that into the experience? I mean, I suppose the the best thing about Fisher and Paykel is that the appliances they're such good quality, and that's you know getting the um, touch and feeling the cold um, stainless in your fingers, feeling the weight of things. It does make such a difference. Luckily, most of our showrooms we have demo mode on because if someone ran away with the, the oven turned up to 200 degrees, it <laughs> wouldn't be ideal. But we do do live demo modes in some of our showrooms so we can have people, sometimes the re- retailers will hold events and cook and use the appliances and that's when a lot of our customers can 
really experience the cooking and tasting food and um, off our appliances. But yeah, it's definitely important to have that touch and the sensory and really experience the product. Thank you so much for your time. We could talk about this all day, of course, but we, you know, time's limited. So I just want to say thank you much for, for sparing your time. So thank you, Xanthi. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. thank you, Angus. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Andy, you. for asking us. A huge thanks to Angus Kerr, Jim Gibson and Xanthi Whiteley. I really enjoyed that one. It's always fascinating to hear the depth of thought that goes into creating these spaces that are primarily there to be a sales tool. I think it's quite, not easy, but it's quite interesting to set up a showroom that is purely supposed to be a wonderful experience to look at. But these are showrooms that are really there to get people to buy. So it's really interesting. We'll be back very soon with the next episode in this season, so make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it. See you next time.